morning, Travis. It's, morning. A beautiful, it's a beautiful morning. Yeah, yeah we, we were rose Travis out of bed by uh, texting him and saying we're, we're going to be on in three minutes. So this is what Travis looks like when he's, and sounds like when he's been up for three minutes to do the show. So it goes to show you that we rarely have any script or idea, and that definitely is the truth today. And producer Dan asked me a minute ago of what would I tell my 18-year-old self about the future in pursuing baseball, whether that be as a player, whether that be as a coach, obviously. I, I, even in college, Travis, and I was an okay player. I was like, you know, an all-conference and a mid-major. Um, not good enough to, to get drafted. And I always knew, even like as a sophomore, as a junior, I always thought I was going to be a way better coach and I was going to be a player, just by the way I processed the game. And as I got older in, in more of a leadership role on my collegiate team, you know, helping out the, the, the freshmen and kind of showing them the way. It was just kind of who I was. And I was always excited about that next chapter in, in my career. But if I had to tell my 18-year-old self something, and it kind of goes back to the push and pull, ebb and flow of the way um, hitting, especially, is taught today. And when I played and when you played, uh, my mom, as many of you listeners have heard, was really my only coach. I lived in the sticks. Um, I got to go to maybe a baseball camp a year. Travis, it sounds like you have a, had a similar background. I got to go to a, a camp a year. And even in those camps, it doesn't mean that you're getting fed good information, but it was better information than what I was getting in my small hometown where the only instruction I really got was whatever I got off TV by watching games. So I recall the drills that I was doing being extremely short, steep downhill to the ball. I'm going to make my swing as short as possible because you heard the pros on television talking about, I'm going to take my hand straight down to the ball. I'm going to chop wood. And I, and I distinctly remember being really, really good. And again, I had, I had a, a, a tunnel, I had a cage. And I would do the 2T drill and I would put the back tee just about, I don't know, two inches above the, the front tee, but I'd also just space them out about six inches apart. So I had to enter the zone super steep and downhill, but off of a tee, a non-moving object and something I had time and space to practice over and over again, I could backspin that ball to the back of the cage really easily. Like boom, line drive, boom, line drive. I was really good at the two tee drill. However, I have said this on the podcast too, I'm, I was 6'2", 200 pounds, I could run, um, and I, I honestly believe, and I know they don't keep this stat, I had to have led Division I baseball and in infield hits. I had to have. Because uh, I, I hit 360 my senior year, I had a lot of hits, but I, my, my ISO slug or power numbers would have been awful. I probably hit eight doubles, three triples, and five home runs. Mind you, using minus five bats, which are just like steroids in your hand, Right. Um, so I think that didn't work for me. I, I, I pound the ball on the ground and I, I knew if I could make the shortstop move two steps in either direction, I was going to be, I was going to be safe. Uh, but that doesn't work in pro ball, right? So that, which is why I didn't move on. So I literally took what pros would consider good instruction to the detriment of my future career. Now I had immediate team success. That was the role of my team, get on base, steal bases, and let the big guys, um, you know, hit home runs. And we were second in the nation that year behind LSU in home runs per game. We hit a, hit a ton. And myself and our other middle infielder were the only two in our lineup that didn't have double-digit home runs. Um, so when I think now of, of the way that people get upset about what is being taught is the context of what you're taking literally and what you're taking as a swing thought because there are certainly, in the majority of guys in professional baseball that I have dealt with, it is extremely prevalent to hear around the cage, I think about swinging straight down, hammering down, getting on top of the ball. The difference between me, of what I did literally, and what these guys do, is the way I entered the zone the same way as a professional swing thought. The difference was I continued a negative attack angle through the zone versus successful professionals 
tend to enter that steep downhill thought and then turn their barrel under the ball for a positive attack angle. So my thought in this and a question for you, Travis, is how cues can be completely different in their outcome and how that can ultimately determine success or failure for a player. You have any insight on that or similar cues that you can think of? Um, you know, I think it's one of those things like, again, we all hear different things. When I was coming up in the games before I was 18, um, my dad was my, I guess, biggest influence as a coach because that's who I would get working with. You know, we'd drive over to a little hole in the wall in Green Bay to hit baseballs off of a pitching machine. Um, and I remember in the facility we were in, or the, the place we were in, it wasn't a facility. There was literally just batting cages. Um, there was like four, five batting cages in there, and each one of them was a different speed. Like the slowest one might have been like 50, the next cage over was 60, and then 70, 80, 90 was the fast cage. And the cue that I got all the time from my dad was basically if I couldn't pull the ball, that the pitch was too fast for me and I wasn't quick enough. So what got built into my swing was basically trying to stay connected so I could get to the ball up front so that I could pull the ball. But it also led, like for me, it led to me cutting off my swing a lot, um, trying to chase hitting a ball right down the third baseline. So when I'm talking pull the ball, like my cue was hit every ball down third base. And I, as, as you did, I got really good at it. Like I was really good at hitting like every ball right down third base line, whether it was just a double down the line because I hit the ball right over third base or a line drive caught by third base or, you know, a ball over the fence right down the line. And that worked out for, you know, probably my 10, 11, 12, probably even a little bit of my 13 carrying a little bit into my 14 year old year worked out relatively well. Guys didn't locate pitches. Well, nobody was going to throw hard enough at that point to get it past me. Cause I was an okay athlete enough and guys didn't throw off speed um, or couldn't control off speed. So I had quite a bit of success. I mean, I was on growing up every all-star team and everything else like that, just simply because I, hit every ball right down the line. And, and once I got to um, high school, um, I made the jump early on to, to varsity. Um, and the pitching extremely changed extremely quickly. And there was struggles, I would say, for the first time. Like, I still hit okay, but it wasn't, like, the success I was having. And I didn't change my mindset much. So – Again, going back to what you were saying, like my cue is always like pull the ball and pull the ball in my mind. Like there was no like this is how you pull the ball. It wasn't like, hey, get closer to the plate and make everything feel like it's inside. So you have to catch it out front. You know, I probably had still in the same neutral position. And as we all know, most pitchers don't throw the ball inside um, at the high school, yeah, college or, or, even or, that yeah. or even at the pro level that much. Right. So. I wasn't getting a lot of inside pitches and I was in more of a neutral position in the box. So there was probably, you know, in my mind, what felt tight was probably a longer swing, but it felt tight because I was trying to pull the ball. And, you know, when you're growing up, if it's, if, if you pull the ball, it means that it was an inside pitch. So I might've told myself mentally that I was hitting inside pitches, you know, cause like, you know, like what was the standard put the T even with your belt buckle when we were growing up, when you're trying to hit an outside pitch, it was like, all right, I'm going to let that ball get really deep, like put it off your back hip and hit its right field, which is completely terrible in thought as well, but, you know, made you learn how to create space. So you can use that one as a cue too of like us, you know, doing outside pitches now with kids is, you know, probably more out with the front ankle or, you know, even near the front foot and just letting the barrel kind of do the work a little bit more out front and what we feel out front because it gives you time in essence to be, down and still have space to turn behind even an away pitch you know but us putting it off our 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 back hip taught us how to create space how to not move forward how to stay into essentially your backside longer because you couldn't drift you couldn't 
slide your hips. You couldn't do anything and hit, hit that pitch that was even with your back hip anywhere near fair or with any sort of relevant power. So you'd actually have to spin like it's time to get to that ball. Accuser. Yeah. Well, and then you'd get in practice. The coach was like, let it get to that point back there. And you're like, I can't, I can't hit it fair. I don't know how to get to it. And you <laughs> catch working, a little bit. I'm working on getting better at catcher's interference. You can't, well, you'd catch it a little bit deeper than you normally would, but you wouldn't catch anywhere near that deep. But I think, I think honestly, I think regionally, I think regionally there's lots of different cues, just like based on the population you grew up with and like how those people term baseball, you know, like, like we grew up relatively the same time learning baseball, but we had different cues like because of the adults in our communities and their, their growth on baseball and what they were told. And everybody I think in different regions is told and does different things. So I think there's always that, you know, difference in cues. Um, but yeah, for me, like I, like I said, it was, it was every ball I had to pull and then, you know, practicing balls off the back hip to let it get deep. Okay. Well, here's where I'm going with this because every sport has its ebb and flow. I think my time as a football coach, um, and this was in the early 2000s. It was just the beginning of how – and college football really did this before pro football even. Like, we're taking two backs out of the backfield. We're going to start to spread out um, in high school sports, especially where you don't have maybe as good of quality linemen or, or skill guys. You can spread the defense out and create more holes. And then once defenses got spread out and they started running like three fours and like, oh, we're going to take advantage of this. We're going to bring everybody back in. And we're going to jam the football down your throat. Power football. Basketball did the same thing. You'd have like the four out, one in offense. And then as defenses started to come out onto the perimeter, then people started to, to stack uh, underneath a little bit more. Baseball has done the same thing in terms of the swing. So we went from the literal and in like guys affected like me of saying, I was taught, we've had this conversation with Andy Haynes, you know, who has the same story. Like I was literally taught swing down. I was going to be the best in the world at. I was going to practice that till I couldn't practice anymore. My hands would bleed and I would continue a negative attack angle all the way through the zone. And so people our age, then you get into coaching, then social media gets involved and you have more of a voice and you can talk and influence more people. Then you got the swing up crowd like, oh, that was effing stupid. These guys don't know what they're talking about. They're ruining careers. We've got to get the ball in the air. You've got to swing up. And if you take that literally, then you have an epidemic of what we have today of a bunch of barrel dumpers, right? So you have the swing down literal crowd, the swing up literal crowd. And again, as we've said before, there is both moves that need to happen in the swing. A very steep descent into the zone that we need to turn the barrel under into a positive attack angle, which is uh, properly done through body posture and tilt. So that, that ebb and flow that I think about, that argument um, of the swing up crowd is really why I feel like where we're at today with having to fix more barrel dumpers. Because it wasn't that way 15 years ago, Travis. When we started teaching, there were way more pushers in steep swings. Like, how often do we see that coming into our cages today? Yeah, Rarely. I, mean, I don't really ever see anybody pushing the bat anymore. I'll, I see well, a ton I'll, of guys that dump. The only the only guys that I'm seeing the only guys that I see that are are pushing are guys that have already had failure with barrel dump, and you know somebody's told them, "Hey, you got to get to the ball. Let's shorten it up, or whatever it is." And then they come in a little bit more into that kind of push pattern. But other than that, like not very much. But like the same ebb and flow obviously has happened in pitching. You know, like when I was first coming up, it was two seam this and sinker that and pitch to the bottom of the zone. And don't miss up, you know, don't miss in the upper part of the zone. And it was. That was, oh yeah, that was a huge cue, right? Oh, don't mess it up. You're going to get hammered there. Well, but why? Because we had a lot of guys that were swinging in their minds in a more of a negative pattern. And that's less conducive to a ball sinking down that you're just constantly chasing. Um, so you're, you were searching for ground balls and you're like, Hey, if these guys are going to give us ground balls or they're, they're thinking ground balls or low line drives. Like let's let them do that. And let's let them get themselves out versus letting them hit something over the infield. So it was like, all right, just sink the ball, let them beat it in the ground. And let's take the out. And even though you're going to give up some hits, like you're going to give up less damaging hits. So it was like, well, 
if I give up two singles an inning, probably not giving up a run. You know, if I give up two doubles an inning, that's definitely a run. If I give up once, if I give up a single and a double, it could be a run. So it was like limiting as a pitcher, like, you know, we're all, we're all the way we are and the way we are approaching things as a pitcher too. But like most, most guys that I know that I've taught through the years, like as pitchers, like their only thought is still strike guys out. It's like, I'm going to strike this guy out. It would be like, Hey, it's a, it's a three Oh count. And in their mind, they're like, all right, it's going to take me three more pitches. And I'm like, why is it going to take you three more pitches? Well, I got to get strike one. And then I got to that. I got to be able to get strike two and then strike three. I'm like, why can't you just throw something here and get a ground ball and be out in one pitch? Unless the guy's not going to swing three Oh, which is obviously, you know, par for the course as it is. But, but then all of a sudden, you know, you, you probably started getting more guys that were dumping the barrel early and the barrel was already headed towards the bottom of the zone. And they started catching some of these balls that were being sunk to the bottom of the zone and then all of a sudden now where we're kind of at now is high spin rate at the top of the zone. And again, it's like, it's give and take. So as soon as, as soon as this crowd goes now to more of a understanding more direct or feeling slightly down again, or being short to the ball, um, they're going to manage a little bit better at the top of the zone as time goes on. And as that happens, you're going to, it's going to revert back to either sinker ball pitchers again, or it's going to revert back to, you know, even better understanding of how to tunnel pitches and be able to make hitters decisions even harder to make uh, with four seam up and something going down. So it's always going to go back and forth. And that's really the idea. So then as a pitcher hitter, as you're going into like when I was in pro ball, you know, every time we would play a series um, first thing we do is we'd go in and we'd have um, pitcher catcher, uh, meeting so our coach would come in and and give us an idea of the lineup that we were facing and what they had been good at or what they hadn't been good at based off of you know game numbers previous um previous times playing them we'd pull the pitching charts and be like hey here's how we threw you know this guy last series and this seemed to work with you know this this and that and you'd sit there and look okay well this guy tends to hit balls up. All right, well, let's work this guy down. This guy tends to pull off the ball or roll balls over. Let's go, you know, something softer away and let him, you know, just take it back. So, you know, you, you have those game plans and people have to go back and forth. And then it's the hitter's job to understand how people are pitching them and figure out a way to survive how guys are throwing them. And then as that hitter adjusts, then the pitcher has to readjust. And the, the person that can adjust the, the most rapidly or the most efficiently is typically the one that survives and the one that can't make the adjustment, you know, whether it is the pitcher or the hitter, there's a lot of guys I know now that as we work, you know, spin rate and trying to get balls a little bit more up at the top of the zone, we're still working on getting balls down. We're still working on throwing two seam and sinkers, but a lot of these guys, because they've never thrown balls up in the zone, have no idea how to throw a ball up in the zone accurately. Everything either gets, you know, chin high or it gets driven right back down to the knees and they have a really hard time living in the top part of the zone because for so long they've never tried to throw intentionally throw a ball there and it's funny how you can throw a baseball your whole life and you tell somebody to do something differently with it and if they're not like man i've never really thought that way like if somebody came to you in your senior year of college and said here hey justin here's what's up man i want you to get there and then just turn behind this ball and go get it i would have thought they were crazy well, but even if you thought they were crazy, you'd have been like, all right, I'm an athlete. I can pull this off. You would have felt really uncomfortable trying to make that happen because you had never really done it before. And trying to get yourself to do it, even though you could physically do it, would be mentally difficult because it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not, this is not my comfort zone. Yeah, no doubt. I was, um, while you were talking, I was thinking of some other cues that, that I was plagued with that did not work for me. Now, uh, mind you, I was a no stride hitter. And as most no stride hitters, you're going to have a compensating, typically a compensating move in the upper body for the lack of energy drive from the lower body. So I had a big inward rotation of my torso. And the the next cue that I got was you need to keep your front foot closed completely. And of course, mine wouldn't. And when you think about one movement profiles, I had really tight internal rotation of my hips. So that wasn't going to work. My shoe would come dislodged. 
or two, if you have a huge internal rotation of your torso, you have to clear space in your lower body. And your lower body is naturally going to open up more to clear that space. So my foot would be well more than a 45. It wouldn't be at a 90 to the pitcher, but we're, we're probably talking 60, 65 degrees. And my coach would tell me, you have to stay closed. And so now I'm trying to fight my lower body with an internally rotated torso, trying to get my hands to the ball and clear space. And obviously that was like a, a train wreck and probably just leading the more six hole rollover ground balls, which was the, the just a benefit of, I was out athleting the, the ball at that point, just being faster than my cr crappy hits. Um, but I, changing the subject a minute, I, I've watched Ted Williams' video for years. Um, in, he has an interesting swing pattern because he has a major dump at the beginning of his swing. Like, um, like his, his hands are well above the barrel, like not even close. You can eyeball it and see it. Then I was thinking about, okay, if you have a major barrel dump and if you're going to get to anything even waist high, which would be considered elevated, you have to catch it way out in front to get it in the air, like way out in front. So I don't know why it just didn't dawn on me till now that the reason why Ted Williams pulled everything is he had to, to have success. He had to because his barrel wasn't going to get back on plane to that ball because of the massive barrel dump at the beginning of the swing till way out in front. Now, nobody told him that. What did he do? He figured it out naturally. Like, Oh, if I'm going to have success, I need to catch the ball way out in front. That's where I'm getting balls in the air. I'm hitting the balls hard and thus the shift because he had no chance of hitting balls the other way because of what position that the barrel was in. Uh, I don't know why it took me 20 years of watching Ted Williams. It just that dawned on me this week. Um, there's probably a lot of people out there going, Stoney, I already knew that. You're, you're an idiot. And maybe I am. I don't think so. I think that's one of those things, too. Like, you know, as you look at different things, we're, we're not always connecting the dots. It was always like when we were growing up, it was like you were told different things and you take a lot of it for granted and you're not sitting there trying to connect the dots. Like, why did a guy like Ted Williams pull the ball? Did he do it just because he was good at it or did he do it because he needed to do it? You know, why do certain players back the ball up more? You know, wh why is that the way they are? Oh, well, this guy backs the ball up more because he internally rotates and that like his swing direction for him to be good. He either has to catch it way out front like Ted Williams, or he has to catch it a little bit deeper and try to go on a line, you know, slightly opposite way. So they're going to hit more balls opposite field consistently because yeah. that's gonna be oh, my, my whole spray chart would have been balls or right center field in the air unless I cheated like I could cheat and pull a ball but I mean I had to sell out and cheat to do it right and I and I was literally that was the same with me because I had a huge inward turn and like I could consistently if I if I would just go to right field I could consistently probably hit the ball well I wouldn't hit with power so I didn't want to hit the other way just because I never I never practiced it growing up. I practiced pulling the ball and same thing. So I ended up having to catch the ball in front of me really far to get to that pull side, but it made me have to make decisions earlier. And, you know, with my decision-making must not have been great or whatever the case was, because, you know, I'd be attacking breaking balls that were bouncing on the plate because, out of hand i was like yep that was that was starting close to where i wanted to be and you'd commit early because i had to catch it out front and then you'd be halfway through the swing going oh crap that <laughs> wasn't that wasn't a fastball but that was it that was it was the give and take right like we've talked about like you to get the ball up front you got to make a decision earlier which means you're gonna have to take a couple chances and you're gonna make some bad decisions along the way and that's exactly what my hitting career was it was if i guess right man i was I was doing some good damage. If I guess wrong, it was, it probably looked like I haven't swung a bat in my life. They're like, wow, what's this guy doing? Like he just swung at a ball that was a foot short of the plate and a foot outside the plate in the other batter's box. And he swung at it, like, full, but, but didn't, but didn't sway, but didn't swing at it. Like I was poking and reaching for it, swung at it full speed. Like the ball was still thigh high down the middle of the plate. <laughs> I might have, I might have, I might have. He doesn't get cheated. <laughs> he missed about six feet, but man, he doesn't get cheated. That's uh, what I, I tell my daughter. I had her in the cage, and this is a, a another transition part of the show. She's nine years old. 
And the only instruction that I've given her is swing hard. And she swings hard. Like she gets in there. And gets, but the other thing I told her in the cage the other day is she, <laughs> I was, I threw a couple bad flips on her hand and she goes, daddy, I'm, I, I'm swinging at everything. And I said, good. I want you to swing at everything. At this age, at nine years old, I want you to get a feel of being able to hit anything and have some bat to ball skill and control. And I said, down the road, we will narrow in those decisions or what are balls and strikes. Now that may not set her up for immediate success in a game where she goes out and just starts chucking at everything because pitchers don't throw strikes at that age. And I've told her to swing at everything, but certainly in the cage, um, I, I want young hitters to have the feel of spatial awareness and can I get the barrel to the ball? I want to learn those bat to ball skills. Now, in our Twitter poll that we did about a month ago, producer Dan, we said, what do you value more if you could have one elite skill? Would it be decision-making or bat-to-ball skills? And I, too, say bat-to-ball skills in that, that one just slightly. So I'm putting this on Twitter universe. My daughter is a failure now as a hitter. I'm blaming it on all of our listeners and all the people that follow me on social media. Because I too said I'm going to teach her bat to ball skills before I do decision making. Yeah, I don't think you. I don't think you're going to have. I don't think you're going to have to worry about that. Because for everybody else out in Twitter universe or your social realm that doesn't understand like how physical your daughter is doing CrossFit um, and the things that she can probably physically do already as a human being that most kids her age can't do. Um, again, she she will out physical the game long enough to let her be better skill specific let's say if we're going to go like making decisions and like making better contact as opposed to you know just swing and go hit it hard like she's going to buy herself time and that's really where a lot of it comes into and i'm going to transition this back into both of these stories now so you started talking out what dan had said about what would you tell your 18 year old self if you could go back and tell yourself and then how that led into cues and now kind of how we've been talking about how you can out athlete the game is growing up. I was one of the better ball players in my city. Um, and it gives you a false sense of success when you're better than a lot of other people that aren't in the same mindset as you. And what I'm going to say, what I'm going to say with that is like when I, when I was in high school, um, being a varsity player, the majority of my high school life, being the middle, being a middle of the lineup hitter the entire time I'm there, you know, I was comparing myself to the people that I was around and the guys that played with are great, great people, man. Like they were awesome friends and everything else like that, but none of them played college baseball. Um, so I'm competing against people that had other thoughts in mind or weren't like-minded sometimes in the way I was going about what I was doing. So me feeling like a little bit of a better player in those moments, getting to college was a huge awakening for me. Like I left high school thinking like, I'm on top of this, like, I'm going to, I'm going to play baseball forever. And I got to college And immediately I was like, wow, man, like almost everybody here is faster than me. Almost everybody here is stronger than me. Almost everybody here can do things that I can't do yet. And I remember going in there being like in shock of how much I felt behind literally a week after, you know, finishing up in the summer with my buddies and feeling like I'm so far ahead. So I got to college and it was just like immediate, just battle. It was battle mode trying to catch up. Like I didn't, I didn't get to play that much as a freshman because honestly I wasn't good enough. And I was at a pretty good school. I was at, I was at Madison area tech. Um, They were the three time defending national champions the year I'm heading in there. So they'd won three, three national championships in a row. We were ranked number one in the country. I feel like he was an old sock scout there. Leo Kalinowski. I don't know. I think I was thinking. Um, and we were number one in the country the entire year I was there. And then we were number one in the country for a reason. Like there was a lot of good players on that team. But again, I remember going there being like, I had to spend more time in the weight room. I had to catch up to these guys strength wise. I had to catch up to these guys 
you know, even a lot of ways, skills wise and consistently consistency wise. And then, you know, as my college, eventually I transferred out, went to North Central after my two years at Madison Area Tech, went to North Central and it was kind of the same thing. Like as I was leaving North Central in my mind, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm ahead of where I need to be. Like I'm stronger than a lot of my friends, a lot of the guys that I'm playing college baseball with. Um, obviously I left, I, I went in as a catcher, left as a pitcher. Um, and then it was like time for time for pro ball. And then I remember, you know, this was back in our White Sox Academy days, back when I still worked in the Lyle facility. And I remember getting in there and having all these other pro athletes there that were training there. And there was a ton, man. And we had probably 20, there's probably 20, 25 guys there that would train, not all the same time or not all in the same days, but there's probably about 20, 25 guys um, intermixed from every level, from big league guys to, you know, minor league guys to independent guys to even guys that were playing overseas. And I remember then watching these guys and like watching them going through their throwing. And like one of the guys there was, was Braden Looper. And I remember watching Braden Looper throw a bullpen and just going, what in the heck have I gotten myself into? Cause I'm like, I can't do any, anything that that dude's doing right now. I can't do, I can't throw that hard. I can't locate the ball that well. My secondary. Anyone, is not that anyone six, five and in 235 pounds. I understand. But like my second, my, <laughs> my, my second, my secondary is not there. Like I got none of this stuff. And then yeah, we would have for a reason. Well, but right. But then we'd go after we did our throwing and all of our stuff on the turf, we'd go and work out. And then I watched, you know, Looper and these guys work out and be like, holy crap, all these guys are stronger than me again. And I left college thinking I was strong. So the point of that was like going back and talking to my 18 year old self is. I want to say almost like enough isn't enough. Like you're not you're not competing. You're not competing just against the people you see on a daily basis. Like you're competing against everybody everywhere. And I think it's different now. And this is literally where the showcase has now made it available because of social media is because if you jump on, you can know what all the best eighth graders on the planet are doing. You're, you can know exactly what all the best freshmen in high school and freshmen in college. And because anybody can post these, these videos of how they hit and how hard they can hit and how hard they can throw and what their spin rate is on their breaking ball at, you know, a, a 15 year old level. And you're looking at it, it's going like, we, you know, you know, now if you, if you're on social media, you know what you're competing against. And growing up, I didn't know because you, like we said, like I got to watch maybe like one game of baseball, if it wasn't a Brewers game, because there was nothing really off market that was in my area played. Like you didn't get to watch a ton of different teams you didn't get to watch tons of different games because they weren't always televised. So you saw what you could see in the limited time you could see it. There was no, you know, ESPN growing up early on in my life to be able to watch highlights of people playing, you know, that didn't happen until a little bit later. So, you know, not knowing what I was competing against, I was just like, oh, okay, well, if I'm better than the group that I'm with right now, or I feel like I'm in that group, you thought you were in a good spot. And I think if I could go back, it would be, you know, I don't feel like I took it easy, like once I got to a certain point, but I feel like I didn't realize what I was competing against. And I think the issue with a lot of kids now is that they see other kids are competing against, but, but a, a lot of kids I talk to them, I'm like, man, who's your favorite, who's your favorite big league player? They're like, I, I, I like the Cubs. I'm like, Oh, you got, you got a favorite player on the Cubs. And they like the Cubs because they see their parents wearing Cubs gear. Yeah. And I'm like, when's the last, when's the last, like, how many games do you watch a year? Oh, we go to about, three games a year. I said, all right, it's cool. Like how many games you watch on TV? I don't, man, I don't, I don't really watch baseball on TV. And I'm sitting here going like, well, how are you going to know what you're competing against? If you don't see it played at its highest form to know the speed of the game, to know the physicality of these human beings, to know all those things, like, how do you really know? So if I travel kids too, it is so good today that college baseball is on as soon as the NCAA basketball tournament's over. College baseball is on TV all the time. And that's so good that it's transitioned that way because we'd say that to our travel guys. Like we, we had also a, a plague in our program at the beginning of being um, sick from our own success where our first couple classes, everybody was a power five division one player. So it came that kids would just put on the, our, our uniform and say, well, I'm, I'm going to go to a power five school. 
And their parents would think the same thing too. This is what I'm signing up for. And then you, you knew this was going to happen. Like there was a certain players, well, we're holding out for Mississippi. Well, it, Mississippi has no interest in you, right? You, you're better suited for division two baseball, which there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But I was like, have you watched what power five college baseball looks like? Like, can you watch that and say, yeah, I can see myself fitting in there right now. Cause that's essentially the way recruiting is right now. Like, I shouldn't say that. Like, there, there's some schools that super early recruit and then have it's the option cool. to yeah. um, decide whether they're going to hold through with that commitment or not at the very end. But there's a majority of schools that say, if we're recruiting you, we feel like you could fit in right now. Right. And we, we've seen that. If you're not watching the game, as you just said, Travis, you have no idea how good these players are. Like, if you just watched Vanderbilt the, these past two weekends, <laughs> Look at dude, like chucking 97, 98. Everybody, everybody, everybody is. Yeah. Every, every one of their guys. Like, no, but that's what I'm saying is like, I think like that's where like a lot of that came is like if, if I would have known what I know now, it would have been – it would have been take out some of the additional stuff that I probably didn't need to do to get done what needed to be done. And there's, there's no ill will, man. Like I, I always tell people like I enjoyed the heck out of my baseball ride. And I enjoyed the fact as far as I ended up being able to play and I'm not upset and I don't blame being done on anybody else. And honestly, like, I don't knowing what I know now, like going back, like I still don't know that I'd want to change. Like, I mean, there's so many things that happen in your life that you would have to change with it to change another thing. And like, I really, I got, an op- I got an opportunity to get paid to play baseball. You know what I mean? But, but again, like as younger kids are coming up now, like if you could give, if I could give them some advice, it would be watch the game at a higher level. Like for these, for these high school kids, honestly, like go watch a college game, like go to what you're, you're looking to go to like everybody wants to play pro ball. Most people have no shot of playing or getting drafted out of high school. It is so incredibly difficult, especially with the draft being cut down at this point. Like to to, pl- to get signed out of high school is that doesn't mean don't make that a, and you know a, a long term goal for you. Like if that's what you that's want, it's like, harder and harder to get into pro baseball. But I'm saying, but that's really hard. So what I'm saying is like your first step is to watch where your next logical progression is probably going to be, and that's college. Go watch, and not only that, but I'll tell you this: go watch smaller baseball too. Like I'm gonna give a shout. Out, I'm gonna give a shout out to move to my to my alma mater. Like, go watch North Central baseball. It's a Division three program. You know, right now they're they're ranked number three in the country in Division three. You go watch them play, and ask yourself if you can fit in there. Because here's the thing, man. Like, the game at that level isn't incredibly different. It's just typically slightly less consistent. So you're getting a lot of still good athletes. I mean, there's guys. There's probably some, like a lot of good late bloomers, like good upperclassmen in Division Two and Division Three baseball. I, I believe I North Central out late, but they're, you're competing against men, right? They're men. I believe there's. I, I believe there's a guy at North Central right now that, as a pitcher, I think he's like low to mid 90s. You're talking about a Division Three player. You know what I'm saying? And that doesn't mean like you know most people are like oh well then he must just not be able to pitch well. It's not always the case, man. Like that's. It's not, it's not what it is. Like, it's, like you said, it's like put yourself in a situation where you can be successful, you know, and sometimes for some other people that's going somewhere different. But what I'm saying again is if you're, a, if you're a high school kid, it is so easy. There are so many colleges in your neighborhood that are very easily to get to. And I don't know where the colleges are allowing spectators at this point. So, you know, it might be different for me able to do something like that. But realistically, you know, try to watch every level, try to watch division three, try to watch, go try to see some Juco baseball, go watch pro baseball, watch every level. And like you said, see where you fit in. And if you, if you're like, man, some of these guys can really fly, then get yourself out there and, and get yourself running faster. Whether you have to be stronger so you can run faster, whether, you know, you have to create better rate of force production, whatever it is, then go get faster. If you can't throw the way that those infielders are throwing across the diamond, get out and work on throwing better. You know, if, if you can't pick it as well, then get, get, get more ground balls, get better, get harder. Well, but I mean, but you got to know what you need to practice. It's not just 
it's not just going on a field. I get so many kids when they come in, every kid that comes into my cage, the first thing I always ask them is I always like, Hey, what do you need today? Meaning like, Hey, you've had another week of team practice or whatever else you're in. Like, what do you need from me today? Like, what do you got? Uh, you know, I, I still want to work on this. All right, cool. Let's, let's still target that. Here's where we left off on that. Let's stick there. Sometimes they change and they're like, Hey, I want to go a little bit more this route today. Cause I was, you know, in practice, whatever. The majority of kids I ask them like, Hey, how did we go in baseball? Like, what did you do? What did you get through? Like, Oh, you know, I, we had practice. I'm like, okay, what'd you do in practice? Like, what are you, what are you getting better at in practice? Are you just taking ground balls, but not knowing what you're actually supposed to be like your, your, you feel like your glove isn't good, but it's because your footwork is terrible. Okay. Well, are you actually working on your footwork or are you just trying to make the ball go in your glove? Like what I'm saying is like the understanding of not just practice, but like a specific mindset in a practice of what you can and can't do well. And I think that's where a lot of it's lost. Like guys go and hit BP and they're just hitting BP. They're not worrying about like, Hey, like I get beat with, with speed. Hey, you know, can, can you move up when you're throwing me BP and make it shorter and a little bit firmer so I can work through some things I have to work through. They just take standard BP. And then you go out in a game and you wonder why you're getting beat because you never address the issue because you're not thinking about the issue in practice because you're just going through a standard practice. And your issue isn't, can you barrel a slow pitch? Because yes, you're very good at barreling a slow pitch, but you All can't barrel it through well, incorrect training. Right. And again, if your footwork's bad and you're an infielder and that ball gets hit, the odds of you getting to it successfully are going to go down, which means you're not going to make as many plays as you would believe in your mind you should make. And you're going to kick a few more balls than you would because you're just taking ground balls in practice. You're not practicing your angles. You're not practicing the tempo of your footwork. As a pitcher, you know, you're out there going, hey, we're throwing bullpens. Let's try to, you know, whatever. And then it becomes, hey, you're you're throwing just for speed and you're, you're inaccurate. And then you're like, okay, well now I get in a game and I can't pitch like that. But now you haven't pitched trying to, you know, take down some of your speed to try to be accurate. And now you can't throw strikes or, you know, guys get obsessed with breaking balls. And like, I want to throw this coach. I want to go to my breaking ball. I'm like, bro, you can't even control your fastball right now. Like you can't, you're what, in what count are you going to get to, to throw this curveball because you can't get ahead. Like, are you going to pitch backwards and you're just going to throw all curveballs? Is that what you think is going to happen right now? Because you can't throw your curveball for a strike enough to do that either. So it's like you go through these things and say, watch the game, man. Like even at the highest level, even against the best hitters on the planet, there are still more first pitch fastballs than there are off speed. And yes, that number might be getting closer, like more guys like, hey, I got to start guys off with something that's not a fastball. But it's still majority is going to be fastball. Now, it might be fastball up. It might be something with sink. It might be on a corner. It might be whatever. It might be something with a cut, whatever it is. But, but watch the game and then dedicate practice that way. And kids have to understand this too. And this is why I don't coach teams or I don't like to coach teams is it is really hard as a coach, even with an assistant coach, to have 12 to 15 let's say at the travel side or the high school side, 25. It is hard in a practice to get dedicated practice for 25 players when you have two, two coaches to three coaches. So what do you have to do? You have to have a very generalistic practice, which is not going to benefit a lot of these kids, but it's not the coach's fault yeah. because there's no you're way you, you're managing time. And rest. yes, there's no way you could, you can't get done what every kid needs. There's just not enough time or manpower. So the thing is kids need to be able to walk into those scenarios. And if the coach is hitting ground balls, the kid needs to know, okay, I'm going to actually start a little bit more to the right because I'm really bad at going to my left. So instead of taking ground balls at me, or instead of like just taking standard field, the ball throw to first, I'm going to put myself in a situation and I might have to ask my coach, Hey man, do you mind if I set up here? so I can work a little bit more to this side. And he might tell me no, but I'm going to ask that question because I know that's what I need. I specifically know in a game, if the ball goes there, I'm in trouble unless I get this work in. And I think that's what's also tough. So as kids, like kids need to learn to speak up. They need to be able to tell, tell their coaches what they're thinking and what they're feeling and what they need help with or whatever, and then see how they can work that into a practice. Because a lot of these kids, the only practice they get in is team practice. Cause they're not, a lot of kids aren't doing individual practice. When I mean individual, I don't mean even lessons. I mean like even just going in their garage, like so many kids, like I'm just going to go on in the garage and hit off the tee. 
well, that's great. But what are you doing? You just put every, every kid wants the ball like middle thigh high. They come in the cage when they come in for lessons, like, Hey, can we raise the tee? I'm like, this tee is as low as it can go. And it's still probably four inches above your knee, which is still well above the bottom of the zone. Where do you want it? You want every ball, like not like top of the zone, but not bottom zone, just right in the middle. And you're just going to sit and whack 50 balls a day doing that. Cause nobody's trying to throw the ball there. And so again, you're getting swings in and you feel like you're being productive, but in a lot of ways you're not, you know, you're not working on time to impact. You're not working on approach angles. You're not working on posture. You're just working on how hard can I hit this ball right down the middle. And look, man, I got, I got an hour of practice in this week or two hours of practice. I'm like, well, what did you do? what did you do? Like everybody to do the same thing. You're not working on getting better. Sorry. That was like a really, I just went off on a. <laughs> I got, I got excited there. Preach for brother. Preach. <laughs> Oh, that was great, Travis. I'm, I'm going to finish it up with this. Uh, another thought from the week that I actually stopped and pulled these two pro hitters aside. They've been training all offseason and minor league players. And like every session, the machine is oh, – again, we have a, a digital machine. It's pretty state-of-the-art. It's uh, a little different. So you can, it's, you can program any spin rate and velocity into it and just by – touch of a pad so there's not a session that goes by that the machine doesn't end up above not even at above 100 miles an hour and these guys look really comfortable and I, I pulled them aside I said you know when I finished playing in 1998 if you'd have told me I don't I think first of all we had a machine that went 100 miles an hour no. in 1998 I said if you'd have told me that 20 years or 15 years later how many years whatever 20 years later simple math Justin. That's not even right. But. 20 years later that we would be training comfortably at over a hundred miles an hour. I would look at you like you're insane because I remember the, at the end of this era and in, into the nineties in division one college baseball, I would think like, Oh, this guy's throwing above 90. Like I, I got strap it on today. Cause I mean, the game then was played at 87 to 89 typically. And even your outliers were above 90. And we're training above 100. So I had this uh, high school kid, one of the better 2022s in the, in the country, comes in after the pro guys work out. And they overlapped one day this week. And this is the second time we've done it. But I've got a high school, a 2022, that's training on the machine alongside these guys at over 100 miles an hour. Like, wow, game's really hard right now. And you get, you get from practice, you better prepare them for it being hard. I had, well, I had that conversation in my velocity class yesterday. We were sitting back there talking and I said, you know, I have been fortunate, fortunate enough to have been around some really good kids. Um, the amount of kids, high school kids that I have seen now throughout the years that throw above 90 is wild to me. I left, I left high school. I, I, by the way, I'd never thrown for a radar gun in high school because there weren't radar guns around. They, just, they weren't readily available. There weren't pocket radars and all these different things. And even then, like schools didn't have radar guns. There was never, the only way you'd see a radar gun is if you went to like a major league open scouting, trials. a major yeah. league scouting bureau camp, which I don't even think they do anymore. Yeah, major those, yeah the open trials, those were cool. They don't think they exist anymore. They yeah. yeah. But I remember going to college and the first time I threw for a radar gun, because remember I, I was a catcher still at this point, but I was like, I want to see how fast I throw. So I got on the mound after they, they have to do, um, they had to, they had to do tryouts based off, I believe um, college rules. Like you had to have an open tryout or whatever. And so we'd always have guys that would try out and the guys that were on the team would just sit and basically run the tryout and let the coaches just kind of watch. It's like, I'm going to go throw off the mound. I remember the first time I threw for a radar, I was, a freshman in college, and this is probably, you know, second week of fall, whatever it was. And the hardest I could throw was 85. 85, bro. And I felt leaving high school, I was one of the harder throwers in my area. And when it said 85, I was like, I wasn't disappointed, but I was like, all right. Now, man, like I've, I've seen 14 year olds throw 90, like that I physically have been with like around. And I just go like, I didn't, it's wild to me. I didn't see one kid in high school throw 90, not one, not one single kid, my entire high school life. Did I ever face or even know that I personally knew that threw 90, not one. And then now to watch it now, it, 
it's it it blows my mind to watch what some of these kids can do that i'm like i was they're so far like kids now that throw 85 in high school are panicked about finding a place to play baseball yeah and i'm like dude like i touched 85 when i was a freshman in college and i ended up throwing relatively hard later on but you know it's so hard to try to explain to kids that you know you got i got kids Heck, I got kids. I got kids right now that are throwing 88, 89 looking for a home. You know what I mean? And they're just like, man, it's hard out there. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It is hard out there. And rec- recruiting is harder now, anyways, because of all what went down with with COVID and all the rules and people being able Who to get. Who has extra benefited years. from COVID? One group of coaches: junior college baseball. The amount of bounce backs, like junior college baseball, is n- never going to be as talented as what it's going to be in the next couple of years. Like if you're a JUCO coach, man, life's good. I, I would think. I mean, they, they might call me up and say, Stoney, we're dealing with all, all these issues that I'm not aware of. That could be true. But I would think that the talent pool going with the draft being cut down and the amount of bounce backs that are going to come from Division One baseball, man, JUCO baseball is going to be good. Yeah. Well, that's all I got today. We went for about an hour there, Co- Coach Travis. Um, next week cool. I'll be coming to I'm you sorry. from sunny Arizona. Um. I'm excited for you, man. Excited for you to get down there and get to work. Yeah. Yeah, it's time. Producer Dan, appreciate it. You want to give a shout out to our, our sponsors this week? He's like, nope. I was going to actually hey, a purposeful moment of silence because we have no sponsors. I'm going to give it. I'm going to give a shout. I'm going to give a shout out to producer Dan for being quite possibly the coolest, the coolest damn travel coach on the planet. Bro, show, bro shows up to practice last night with an actual like WWE like leather belt with just big metal. Yeah, you need to tweet that out on the Elite TV uh, Twitter handle. Saying saying Elite coming in, kids all getting hyped because they all want to win the belt because every kid whoever whoever player of the practice or the game gets to take the belt. Let's say, how do you win the belts? Player of the game, they got to keep it till the next game. Cool. Kids were jacked up, man. I was taking videos like I'm in my lesson like. Tell my lesson, like, hold on a minute. I got to take a video of what's going on over here. This is wild. These guys are all just getting crazy. Everybody's t- competing to try to get this belt. Or Nestle's just carving dudes up so nobody can win. It was awesome. Shout out to producer Dan for – I wish I could have played for producer Dan when I was growing up. <laughs> That's what I'd tell my 18-year-old self. <laughs> Go back and play for producer Dan. Uh, all right. We'll see you, fellas. All right, boys.